Hello, friends. Welcome to the ATC Double Cut. I have a very, very special episode today because I have two guests joining me. Not It's not just me talking to myself, and it's not me just talking with one guest. I have two guests. One is Scott Mingay, who is the Director of Product Management for the USGA. Hello, Scott. Hey, how's it going? It is going very well. The other guest is Dr. Jordan Booth, who is the Director of the USGA Green Section Consulting Service. Welcome to the ATC Double Cut, Dr. Booth. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. So um, this being the ATC Double Cut, we are going to start off by talking about one of the ATC blog posts. And the blog post that that I wanted to use as a pretense to start this conversation is one uh, where I talked about the bobble test. I made a video with my friend Queen in Thailand, and we um, we I, basically she didn't know what the bobble test was, and you might not know what it is either. It's a way to measure the smoothness and the trueness of ball roll across a putting green, and so I taught queen how to do that and we recorded a video doing it and you can watch that video you can find a direct link to that on the asian turfgrass website and i will put a direct link to that in the show notes now the bobble test is about measuring not the green speed but the quality of the ball roll and the usga has a very interesting new tool or a new product which is called the GS3. And I know, Scott, you and, uh, well, you're the director of product development. So I guess that I'll let you get started. Um, tell me what the GS3 is and what it, uh, what is the GS3? I'm, I'm curious what the GS3 actually stands for. Is it because it measures three things, the speed, the smoothness and the firmness or I mean, I guess that's the the great mystery internally is is exactly what what does GS three stand for? Is it you know the three things it measures? Um, so it actually measures four. The the GS three name came about um, you know in, internally, like like most engineers, right? You code name projects as we work on them, and um, for us it was green science, and it was the, the third iteration. So if you think about, uh, we had the stip meter, which would you know kind of would have been GS one in in a way. Um, and then Matt Pringle, uh, Jordan and I's boss, um, came up with the true firm and the GS3 is a combination really of both of those things that also introduces some new metrics, which we call smoothness and, and trueness. So, um, for those that, that didn't get a chance to see it at, at a couple of the shows, uh, this is the, the GS3. It's a smart golf ball. Um, it's the same size and weight as a golf ball. You, you cannot hit it with a club. Uh, it'll be the last time you, you ever do that. Um, and then internally, though, it has a, a series of sensors. Um, and, and what those do is when we, we drop it using a drop fixture, we get a firmness value. Um, so same value that you'd get with the USGA True Firm that our agronomists have been using at, at championships for, for well over a decade now. Um, and then you roll off a stint meter. And, and we use the stint meter just to get a very consistent roll to, to start. Um, and it'll measure green speed without pulling a tape measure. And then it does smoothness and trueness. So, so kind of similar to the bobble test, which is... We, we add a value that is, you know, how bumpy the green is and then how true the green is, how much side to side deviation. And, and we do that all in you know, one little package that syncs up to your phone and, and puts a bunch of data uh, right there for you to use. Now, thank you for that explanation. Um, may I put up the green section website in case somebody wants to buy one of these or, or get more information? Um, it, I believe the website for the green section where you could get more information is GS shop.usga.org. I will put a direct link to that in the show notes also. Um, so I, I've i been aware of this and I've never used it. I've been aware of the GS3 and people kept telling me there's this cool new tool under development. And uh, then I saw you had the press release at the golf, uh, the GCSA conference and show. And it was, you know, the official launch or the official soft launch of it. I, I guess there was something at the Carolina show last year also, but this year was a bigger release and uh, multiple people contacted me from around the world saying, have you seen this? What do you think of this? And I thought, you know what, if 
if somebody from the green section would be kind enough to talk to me, wouldn't it be interesting to discuss this uh, and and find out more for myself? Because uh, now that it's available, there's questions that come up like, okay, this doesn't have dimples on it that I can see, but a golf ball has dimples. So, so there's questions about that. And then uh, like, I, I've got a question just about the green speed. Everybody's familiar with green speed. If you do the the stint meter measurement it's measured in feet and is this what are the units that this is reporting does it report it in feet or how does that work and and to yes. answer the dimple question uh <laughs> too if you will <laughs> yeah yeah so to answer the dimple question we, we actually did start off with a, a dimpled ball um and we've we've since gone to a small a smooth one um like dimples are you know primarily there um for, for aerodynamics right um for us, it's just, you know, removing the dimples, creating a smooth surface, uh, just makes it a lot easier to manufacture a lot more, you know, consistent with some of the methods that, that we're using. When we built the, the ball, so, that, you know, we were very intentional in, in the surface material and the cover material that we selected. Um, so the ball will roll out the same distance as your typical uh, golf ball will. So if you were to roll this ball off our stent meter and you were to take any, any top, you know, brands, any popular brands and you roll them off, you're, you're going to get a very similar rollout distance. Um, you'll notice all, every ball rolls slightly different um, as, as far as physical distance, but we'll be with right within like a two to four inch uh, range of physical rollout distance of, of all of those those balls. Um, to answer the, the green speed question, so we measure in feet and inches, um, and what it does is it actually measures the effective uh, speed, not how far the ball actually rolled. And What's important for that is that we all know with the stint meter is there's a lot of operator dependence, right? There, there's an art of a stint meter. Not only is there, they're finding a, a flat spot, which can be very difficult these days, but you know, if you if you lift the stint meter up a little too quick after the ball starts the rolls, you, you can get a little bit more distance out of it than, uh, than the stint meter should report. What this is doing is it's taking that operator dependence out. Um, we're looking at the internal sensors of the ball, and then we run a little a model that we've created and says, okay, what would the effective stimp distance be? And then we report that back out in feet and inches. Um, you'll find that we'll rate within a plus or minus two inch delta um, to somebody who, who's very confident with a stimp meter right now. Okay, so um, that means that this is is reporting a distance that's calculated based on the speed that it knows that it's moving because it's got a timer in it. So it knows how many revolutions it's making per time. Is, is that what you're, is that what, how the speed is measured? Yeah, we, we use a mix of the sensor package that's in there. So there's a couple, uh, there's a couple different types of accelerometers uh, in there as well as a gyroscope. So we use a mixture of all of those sensors, uh, look at the time and look at the, the sensor signal over that. And then, um, you know, kind of the secret sauce internally is, is how do we take all of those signals and, and calculate out this the speed smoothing the centrinus metrics from there cool so so as far as the stimp meter or the green speed measurement it's it's reporting it in feet and it's plus or minus two inches to what you would get if 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 you would measure it um with with the stimp meter and with three balls now does this do this with just one roll in one direction or are you, how, how does it work with multiple directions Yes, yeah, so we still recommend that you you roll you know three rolls each direction just to to get a good average. Um, you know we'll we'll continue to explore uh, how many rolls you you do need to to get a very good statistical number. Um, you know there's there's some research that we're doing and, and continue to do on that. Um, you know, one of the unique things, and you know I'm sure we'll get to it in a little bit around smoothing the strunus is within the the app uh, the Deacon app that controls the ball. You can select different areas of the green that you want to measure in. So um, you, know, you, you can do say three rolls of a green speed in, in one area of the green and report that and then collect your smoothness and trueness uh, in another area that, that's maybe more important and might not be conducive uh, to being a flat area to measure speed. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna ask Jordan um, to, to jump into the conversation here, I suppose. Jordan, you've you've used this uh, a bit, and how how flat of a spot does it have to be measured on? Because I use the trick uh, of using the Breedy equation when I'm doing the stint meter, and I just customarily 
will make that calculation. So I don't worry so much about the three rolls in one direction being within 18 inches or 45 centimeters of the three rolls in the other direction because I apply the Breedy equation. And I wonder, um, with the GS3, does it have to be on a flat spot? And how much, um, how much leeway is there when you're, when you're using it for green speed? So the great part about how Scott and his team have kind of built built a tool is to take the user variability out of it. So we've done a lot of work and, you know, uh, Micah, both of us are serving on Maureen uh, Caillou's, you know, graduate committee. And she's doing this work across, I think, 50 or 60 different golf courses in Tennessee to, to, to see those comparisons. And, and the great part about taking out that user variability with how it measures green speed and smoothness and trueness is that whether you use the, the full stint meter or the half stint meter or where you are on the green, um, you know, we, we've seen very accurate numbers. So it, it kind of removes that user error and the necessity to be in a perfectly flat spot. With that said, we still, you know, have a lot of work to do and, and we still want to, you know, set ourselves up for the best success. So launching with the stint meter is still one factor that we're using to to normalize the data as well as trying to find as flat of a spot as possible. But I've been really impressed by, by no matter where we use it, how we use it, um, it's given us really consistent numbers. And when we compare it to the traditional step method, uh, like Scott said, it's went within, you know, plus or minus a couple of inches. And so uh, I kind of credit that to, to user variability that we're kind of eliminating um, and how we're, how we're collecting the distance information. So, um, am I understanding that it's recommended to use it with the stint meter at either the half or the full distance, and it's recommended to use it on a flat surface? However, you're you might be suggesting that when you've used it, if I used it on a slope and and uh, launched it off the stint meter in an abnormal way, or used a greens tester or a, a perfect putter device or other ramp to roll it that the sensors are still able to measure the speed and then uh, report that speed as a distance and it so you're saying that that it seems promising that it might uh, give a good number regardless is yeah, I would say it's very promising. I think Scott and others would, would ask me to be a little more reserved in our in our you know over promising, but um, based on what we've seen in the field, um, it's it's taking out some of that variability. And it's still you know obviously if you're rolling on a severe left to right or a uphill, it's going to give you that number. Um, but it, but it's still going to that's still why we roll it in two directions to give us the average of that. So mm -hmm. now, when people purchase this, it's one ball that they purchase is that right and and yet you're saying that you're still recommending three rolls in each direction so that that's how does that work with one ball you just have to go fetch it and bring it back or i mean how are people doing this practically yeah that's right and, and there's some you know i guess we've we've written some articles and things on the green section record to kind of help overcome some of the you know i think you've you've written to this really well micah you know, there's some there's some hurdles to overcome with getting folks involved in data collection and so but if you use it you know on a regular basis it's going to add a little bit of time to the traditional you know step meter method of, of having three balls that you're using um but it, it ends up being pretty pretty rapid to, to get this and the value you're gaining of not just you know speed um, but also trueness and smoothness in the same roles the argument that I would make is if you were doing a speed test plus, you know, the other testing, this, this would still eliminate time to get, to get the, the, the different metrics. Okay. Excellent. Now, okay. Let's talk a little bit about the smoothness and trueness. Are you calling the vertical deviation? Like if the ball bounces or, or chatters vertically, uh, are you calling that smoothness uh, or do you call it something else? Yeah, so the three metrics involved in the roll is going to be speed, and that's going to be a traditional units like Scott described. And then smoothness would be variability up and down, just like bumpiness. Um, and then trueness would be left and right. So still want to use those same metrics that people are familiar with. Mm -hmm. um, and, and hopefully, you know, that uh, 
that's something that, that can make sense. But uh, smoothness, trueness, and speed are what we get out of all of our roles. Okay, excellent. Now, the what are the units of, are there units for smoothness and, and trueness? I, I remember back when the STRI had their smoothness meter, that, that fancy device, I had a chance to use that at St. Andrews in the 20, 2010 Open Championship. And that's, that's a really cool device where a, a, uh, it, it rolled across the surface for a set distance at a, a relatively consistent speed. And I think the units that it was reporting, if I remember right, it was like millimeters of vertical deviation per meter rolled and millimeters of sideways deviation per meter rolled. If, if I understand what the units being reported were, and that's really the only context I have because the bobble test, which you can find out about uh, on my website, and there's, of course, the, the uh, perfectly true article, I think, from the 2010 Green Section Record, which you can also easily find. Um, that's on a scale of 1 to 10, and so it's not measuring uh, anything in, in terms of millimeters or, or, or deviation. So I'm curious about what the GS3 uh, reports in terms of units of vertical and uh well smoothness and smoothness being vertical deviation trueness being lateral deviation yeah so both the both of those measures uh are on a unitless scale um the the way we work is zero would be perfectly smooth and, and true um 15 would be uh like freshly aerated greens on smoothness um, and typically two would be something that you would report as the, the ball is really snaking, you know, quite a lot um, from a trueness value. Um, what we're looking at is so, we, you know, we, we can measure, um, you know, how much, you know, it deviated from the path. Um, and some of that's even taken into consideration for, for trueness, for example. You know, if, if you roll the ball in an area where there's a lot of break, um, the fact that the ball moves to the side um, you could still get a perfectly true roll, right? Because if you if you think about it from a golfer perspective, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the green and I'm reading the, the slope and I'm expecting the ball to follow a certain path, right? And so um, what we're looking at is deviation from the norm, right? So if I'm following some path that's curved, but the ball's, you know, um, as one example, like sinusoidal about that path, right? So it's deviating, you know, back and forth. That's where the trueness number, you know, can get out of whack and, and the same for smoothness right there's there's always going to be some amount of devi you know vertical deviation that you're experiencing uh on a, on a turf surface it's really how much am i deviating from the norm um and uh you know without giving away too much it's you know how big are those deviations right so um you know if the, the ball is just you know kind of quietly going along there's there's deviation if it's quietly going along and then there's one big you know jump um you know that would have just as big of a smoothness value as a, a bunch of, you know, kind of medium jumps. So it's really, it's how much impact is that ball experiencing during its, during its movement? That, that's an interesting one. So that is, um, that is unitless. So it's, it's, but are they, re they're reported separately, right? So, so it's a yeah. scale of zero to 15 for, um, for smoothness approximately. So if, like we would see 14 to 16 as being um, any greens that we've measured that have been freshly aerated. So if you go, you know, right after the, the, the crew gets done, um, you know, punching and top dressing, you'll see 14 to 16. Um, and then like a two, 2.5 would be the, the ball sneaking quite a lot on a trueness scale. Okay. So this, which is similar to what the STRI smoothness meter was that they're, their vertical deviation was was a lot more than their lateral deviation. So, um, yeah, I mix my words here. Sometimes saying uh, yeah, yeah, that's, vertical, that's, sometimes that's, lateral, sometimes snaking, sometimes smoothness, yeah. sometimes trueness. Uh, <laughs> so, I I hope that that uh, doesn't confuse people too much. Um, I, I've used the perimeter just a little bit. Um, the perimeter is a d device where you put an iPhone into a specially constructed tray with four wheels and you put a golf ball underneath in a special holder and that is also measuring something that is unitless 
And something that I noticed that was kind of difficult for me to understand with that, because of course, I'm always trying to understand these numbers, and I'm kind of uh, critical. Um, I looked at that on a golf course putting green, and it gave one number, and then rolled it across the fairway, and it gave smoother and truer numbers. And I wonder if the way the sensors are in the GS3, if if you have that type of phenomenon that could happen, where where a surface that we might consider not such a good putting surface um, could actually have numbers that that are better than than a putting green surface. That's some of the interesting things we've seen, Micah. And we've had a lot of internal debate around the units and should we normalize the units um, even more so to, to everything to be on a like a like a scale of one to ten, something like that. But I think what we speak to often is just like your volumetric water content numbers that you would be pulling from a soil moisture meter, the numbers are specific to your property. And so a benchmarking, let's say you're at 2.5 smoothness in the morning, looking at the differences between that after golfer traffic may give you key insights into, okay, did we get worse, which is what we anticipate. And then what levers can we pull if we're at six and we want to get closer to zero? Right. What levers can we pull in our mowing, rolling, cultural programs and other practices to improve? So we kind of see it as a benchmarking tool that's specific to your golf course. We have observed that phenomenon where we look at, you know, height of cut differences and that impact on trueness and smoothness. And what we found is irregardless of the height of cut, if speed becomes very high, and this was maybe a little bit counterintuitive to me, but it can negatively impact smoothness and trueness. And what I mean by that is that if, when green speeds are very high, you get to the end of that roll and that, that ball is almost tumbling as opposed to staying online. And so we see that same phenomenon when we go to a T height or fairway height, right? there's less speed. And so it's able to more hold that line and uh, represent more trueness or, you know, improved trueness and smoothness. But I guess what I would always just say is, you know, that's not very practical um, in, the, in the whole practical application. And so that's why we want to maintain this on a putting green um, to, to kind of be able to compare and contrast the, the similarities and differences. But we have had that feedback like, oh, I rolled this on a tee and it was smoother and truer. Sure, that doesn't make sense, but when we drill down further into what that means, I think it'll give us key insights into balancing speed with trueness and smoothness on the putting green in order to help get us out of this arms race of, you know, kind of the race for max speed. We can more closely assimilate, all right, what what speed do we need to be at that's appropriate for our architecture? And then how do we match that up with the best trueness and smoothness? Thank you for that explanation. And uh, for the speed measurement, we would expect that to be uh, comparable across properties. Um, although that may be not I, that may be not what we want to use it for. But for me, I'm interested in things like our bent grass greens in August. Uh, what's the green average green speed on bent grass greens in August versus zoysia greens in August? So. I, I think that that should be comparable with the speed. Can you confirm that you would consider that to be comparable across properties? Well, I think that's the exciting part is anyone using this tool, you know, is their data is going to be anonymous. It's not like we're going to be sharing Micah's data with Scott's data, but the, you know, being anonymous allows us to say we can compare differences between seasonality, grass types. So we know, from using this device thousands of times that there's going to be different parameters that are acceptable for say poa greens versus zoysia greens versus bentgrass greens. And Scott and I just got off a call with you know, some beta testers that have been early adopters and they think about breaking out their season or their, their year into five separate seasons. Um, and so that was, that was a new one for me, but they think there's, there's that much difference in seasonality between their, Ultradorf Bermuda grass putting greens that they actually rethink their parameters based on the time of year. So maybe that doesn't answer your question well, but that's exactly where we're going with it is we can see, all right, what's a 
acceptable number based on not only turf grass species, but also seasonality. Okay. Well, thank you. So the green speed, you think you can compare season to season uh, and location to location, but what you're saying about smoothness and trueness is maybe that's something that you would look at, certainly confine it to putting greens only. And can you compare that across properties or, or is it unique enough with the way the, the grasses are? Cause because like, obviously we can't compare, we, we don't want to take a putting green and compare it to a tee and say, okay, as a joke, I rolled this on the tee. The tee's twice as smooth as the greens. That's, it's pointless, but it's also confusing. And I just want to, to say, if I take a, because I was interested in the perimeter because I had it in Japan. I'm like, I want to try to figure out grain because when you hit putts on Zoysia greens in Japan, you'd notice there's a lot of grain and the ball does uh, strange things to the eye and you think the ball is going to go here and it it almost you know sometimes it just doesn't perform but, but with bent grass generally on a good bent grass green the ball tracks really smooth and true and it goes where my eye is expecting it to go so i thought with the perimeter let me let me see if i can do an experiment and and measure some bent grass greens and some zoysia greens and see if i can detect that and then, so my initial trials with the perimeter involved rolling the ball or using the perimeter on a number of different surfaces, like a smooth tabletop, like a carpet in the clubhouse, like real putting greens, like fairways. And all of a sudden I realized, oh my goodness, these numbers are incomprehensible to me. And at that point I, I stopped using it. Now, of course, if I were only using it for the purpose of trying to maximize the smoothness on the same surface, and so I'm just doing the, I'm measuring the surface in the morning, I'm measuring the surface at 11 a.m., I'm measuring the surface at 4 p.m., and trying to, to make that same surface as smooth as possible day after day, hour after hour, I can understand how that measurement could be useful for me. But for my for what I wanted to use it for, which was to try to understand the effect of grain, I quickly realized that I can't compare different surfaces. So I'm just wondering, um, I mean, I, I think I understand that the GS3, as far as green speed goes, we wouldn't, we wouldn't expect to have that problem. And with smoothness and trueness, I just wonder if, if it's something that really is uh, probably confined to just one one location or not or, or is that something that like marine's uh research is going to help help you to understand better i'm, I'm sure it will <laughs> i think we will certainly continue to improve our understanding of the differences between numbers and, and what's a significant difference right is a significant difference if trueness moves from one to two or does it need to move from one to three um and so I, i'm excited to see kind of where, where maureen gets with that um but also i think to further answer your question about differences in, in species, we've seen very different um, trueness and smoothness numbers between different species, including zoysia grass, Bermuda grass, poa annua, and, you know, creeping bent grass. So we would expect differences, and we've seen that play out um, as we would expect. And so one thing I'm excited about is, you know, we can, we can look at the raw data, and we've been able to detect differences in organic matter, and you know it, it, we can break out the roll as well. So the last couple of inches or last foot or two of the roll is really, as I think about it, the whole ability of the putt as it holds its line in that last, you know, foot or two is really the most critical piece. So um, I think there's a lot that we're going to continue to learn to your point and get better at and, and further understand. But we've already been able to detect those differences between uh, turf grass species as it would relate for what's acceptable or normal for, for different grass types. Okay. So as long as it's just, as long as you're doing it on greens, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it would make sense that if you Green. measure putting greens and surfaces that are prepared as putting greens, that whether it's zoysia or bent grass uh, or poa annua or ultra dwarf Bermuda grass or something else, um, it does make sense that, that that would be recording different, uh, differences that are meaningful and make sense now maybe this maybe scott will have an answer to this one i think i saw in the press release 
um, that, that came out a month or so ago, uh, that, that it takes 50,000 measurements or something. And, um, what, what is that? That's, that's with all the sensors over the course of, it's not making 50,000, uh, I mean, it, it's making that total number of measurements with all the sensors added together. How, what is that? Yeah. Score? Yeah. It's about the total number of data points that we collect. So as, you know, as Jordan said, you know, we're, we're collecting data during that entire time that it's rolling. Right. Um, and so between all the different sensors in there, you, you get, you get quite a lot of data points. Um, and, and that to us is an important aspect, right. Of, um, being able to uh, start to get to the types of things that you and Jordan were just talking about, right? Like if we, if we have enough high quality data over a section of, of turf that we're measuring, um, you know, being able to run that back through the algorithms to say, okay, you know, how, what exactly was that smoothness, trueness, speed number? Um, and then affirm this, um, you know, having having a very high count of data points is really important, right? Because with, with firmness, you know, which we'll talk about, we're measuring that the the you know depression depth, right? And we're going from acceleration. So, um, you know, anytime you're integrating or double integrating data, right? The, the higher frequency of, of collection that you can get, um, the, the the higher the quality of the signal, um, and certainly the more things that you can start to pick out of that signal, as Jordan was alluding to. So yeah, that's a good segue into firmness. So you're, it's dropped through a, a a device that comes with the GS3 that's dropping it from a fixed height, I presume. I've seen a couple yeah. of pictures of that. Yeah, so it's the same. Uh, drops it from the same height as our, our true firm did, um, and it has a mass on the end. So it's just trying to you know add some momentum to to mimic like a pick, a pitch shot into a green. Um, and you you put it into that device. You, you lift the device up and and you drop it. Um, after you, you drop it, you'll have a little, um, you know, pitch mark that you can just fix. Um, the, the, the head of that mass is the same diameter as, as a ball. So it doesn't leave it a huge mark. Um, Divot Repair Tool will, will quickly kind of fix that. Um, and then off you go to, to your next measurement. Oh, oh, you've got the mass at the bottom and the ball's fixed on the top. So is that how it works? Uh, actually, I'll reach over. I got one right here in the office. So uh, got one at the home office, one at the work office. We got one everywhere. Um, All right. Let's yeah, the, see. The way, the way oh, I'm going to I'm going to see if I can. Yeah, there we go. Screen. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, so this is just the mask that you have. Um, this is actually a, a, a Gen One. It's got a black cover. The new ones have a blue cover. Um, but you would just unscrew um, the the shuttle. So it's two pieces. Uh -huh. And then you just take your ball, place oh, it nice. you know, okay. right in the shuttle, and then just screw it back together. And All then, right. you know, that's that's the bottom that, that then hits. So you just drop this from a drop fixture and, and getting it right into the ground there. Okay, cool. Well, thank you for thank you for that explanation. Oh, I think, help. Um, if, if anybody, yeah, if you're listening to this, be sure to check out the video on YouTube and you'll uh, be able to see what Scott just showed. And... Uh, the uh, also I put up the USGA uh, Green Section Twitter account, which is at USGA GRN section, and I think on that account you will be able to see some some pictures or other demonstrations of that. So that's really cool. So how many? If we're assessing one putting green, what would be your standard recommendation for the number of drops that you would do with that to to get a a, a good firmness assessment? Yeah, so we, you know, it, it really it varies. We, we tell a lot of um, our customers that are using this every day, you know, th three drops uh, is, is a pretty good starting point if you do like a front, middle, back, or, um, you know, you start to map out some, some problem areas. At championships for the USGA, we, we do nine. So we do three across the middle, three across the um, front, and three across the back. Mm -hmm. A lot of what we've done and, and told people when we onboard them with the GS3 is, you know, the, it's a new tool. It's cool, right? The first day you're out there, go go crazy, measure all over your green, you'll quickly start to notice, you know, patterns. Um, and then from there you can, you know, pick, okay, here's, here's my three spots that I'm going to measure every day. Um, Cause those are going to, you know, be most indicative of the overall performance of, of the green. I don't know, you know, Jordan, you know, obviously you've got a lot of field experience with that, that as well. Yeah, I think our general recommendation is, like you said, Scott, and, and I think Mike has alluded to this in the past, if, if, if you're entering into data collection and you're starting, you know, I always recommend, you know, kind of starting small, T starting with one green 
And, you know, the, the value of that data is, is collected, you know, over time. So that value of three or nine measurements, whatever you're doing on firmness, and the value of those roles, whether it's a traditional stint meter with, with golf balls or with the GS3, that's important today, but it's really more important to look at all that data over time. So whether it's a month or two month or six month scale, um, that's what really can improve your, your management practices and uh, the predictability of your playing surfaces and ultimately resource management. You know, that's kind of what we already alluded to, but um, as far as firmness, We've, we've seen when, when preparing for our championships that nine locations uh, that Scott talked about really made sense. Um, but for practicality purposes, probably three um, at your golf facility is, is enough. And when I'm using this, do I need a, I'm, I have a phone with the Deacon app open, uh, kind of like when using the Pogo, you have to use it with a, div, a tablet or a phone that has a, has a uh, app open with it. So. Yeah, so part of the whole package is you, you use the Deacon app uh, on your phone. And you know, you, as Jordan said, you know, we, we encourage people, you know, start as simple as possible, right? Uh, so when you start, you know, Deacon's got a got a, a ton of great functionality in there. But, you know, you can start, just start with the, the GS3. Just start with the drop test. Just start with a roll test. Um, it's Bluetooth to the phone. So the, the, the test cycle uh, time is, is quite quick. Uh, another thing that we've worked on in the app is that what we like to call kind of, you know, offline online mode. So all the data sync to the cloud, but that doesn't prohibit you from testing if you don't have internet connection. So if you're at an area on the golf course that you don't have Wi-Fi and you don't have internet, uh, which is you know quite common at a lot of at a lot of facilities, you can still do the test. It'll store everything local. You'll still be able to view your maps, um, and then once you get internet connection, it'll just start you know syncing that up to the cloud for you. So then you know other users at your facility can see it, or or you can go back to your desktop version to to explore the data a little bit more in depth. That. That uh, it's cool that it does all of this stuff automatically. Um, I, I, I advocate measuring green speed, assessing firmness, measuring uh, smoothness and trueness. None of these things uh, I, I did 20 years ago. When I was a golf course superintendent, uh, I first became a golf course superintendent almost 25 years ago. I was a superintendent for a few years, didn't really do much of this at all. And then I got a PhD and started the Asian Turfgrass Center and started giving a lot of advice. And I, I wasn't giving advice to measure the results of the work. Um, and whether that is things like measuring the organic matter in the soil, which is the results of our top dressing and airification work, or measuring the playability, which is really what we're doing. We're making a playing surface for sports, so we should measure the playability. I didn't really uh recommend that so much and it, it it's it's all things that i've added on is i've i've gradually realized that they were useful so i've started recommending to keep track of the green speed more often and then keep track of whether the greens are firm enough or not keep track of uh and then reason and i always assumed that if greens were fast they were smooth uh and and then uh it wasn't until well we saw the 2010 U.S. Open at Pebble Beach where the greens had the dry spots. And, of course, you knew that the, as the ball was slowing down, it was snaking. So that, that was obvious, but that's such a rare case. And I just thought, in general, when golf courses are really intensively maintained and putting greens are intensively maintained and, and made, made so they have a good speed, of course the roll's going to be smooth. And I was measuring at a golf course in Thailand in 20, maybe end of 2018, maybe it was 2019, and I noticed the green speed was 10 and a half, which in Thailand is pretty, it's above average. It's a pretty nice green speed. And the ball was bouncing and chattering all over the place. And of course, I've known about the, the uh, bauble test forever. You know, since, since at least since that uh, perfectly true article uh, by Henry Bachelet and Richard Windows, which was reprinted in the green section record in 2010. And, and I think I knew about it even before then. So I knew that there were ways to put uh, put a number to the smoothness and trueness of the roll, um, and and then finally I was like, wow, I really need to start measuring this. So I have been doing it since then. Now, that that's kind of uh, a lot of people have an objection to that because they say it's subjective and they want a tool to do it. So I think there's like it really resonates well with people when uh, they 
they realized that they could get a tool like the GS3 or a device like the GS3 to measure this automatically. Well, I mean, you, it, it measures not i mean you you use it and then it 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 records it for you um and i've also noticed some people have a bit of sticker shock when they see the price which i think is something like a couple thousand dollars um initially but um, i look at it and it's like yeah but if i my clay camera costs more than that um a clay camera which i use for firmness um a, a tdr 350 or a pogo costs something in that kind of price range. So, I mean, I think but for me, it wasn't such a sticker shock, but could you tell the pricing? Because I'm sure some of the people listening are, are interested in what this would cost them. Yeah, so the the, the first year is, is $2,750, um, you know, $2,750. Includes your, your, your GS3, uh, the charging case, the drop fixture, um, a fresh scent meter, um, and it also includes your, your Deacon subscription, right? So everything is packaged together as one. Um, and then, you know, currently the way we have it is there's an ongoing subscription fee um, for using, which is uh, $1,250 a year, which includes, again, all of your Deacon uh, offerings in there. It also includes that um, every third year, you'll send back the GS3 and we'll send you a new one. Um, you know, it, it is wirelessly charged at some point, those batteries won't take a charge anymore. So. Uh, we want to make sure that you always have kind of a, a fresh device to use um, use there. But again, it's just, you know, how do we help package all of this up to make it as, as easy as to use as possible and and really help meet our users um, at their respective journey and data collection, right? If, if you want to just get started with GS3 and, and Deacon, you can do that. If you want to go from, I'm going to do GS3 and I'm going to record my clippings and my cultural practices and my organic matter and my sprays, my whole location, we can handle all of that um, and help create some really in-depth reporting for you. But it, it's really like, let's, let's get started simple. Let, let's get started with a, a one roll on one green um, and take the subjectivity and human error out of doing that and, and have a number that's meaningful to you. And, um, you know, we'd hope we, we packaged and priced this in a way that, that makes that attractive to, to a lot of golf courses. I, I think, I think it is certainly, um, I would imagine that most golf courses that can afford it will want one. Um, is it is it offered only in the United States right now, or or um, if I was in Hong Kong, for example, uh, could could I get one? I mean, are, are you selling globally? Right now, we're we're in a phased rollout. Um, like any new product, like we we, we want to put the USJ name behind it. We we want to make sure that you know as people get these and adopt them, that they're that they're having a lot of success in, in using it. Um, and so that, that is our number one priority. So through the spring and early part of summer, we're doing a phase rollout, and then we do anticipate a more general availability uh, later in the year. Um, there are some, you know, quirks of, of global distribution depending on exactly where you are and, you know, import requirements and things like that. We'll continue to, to work through those. I'd say the best thing for you to do is, um, you know, you did put the, the link to our website. If you go on there, there's a contact us form. Um, you know, fill out that, that form, it'll send your contact info in, um, and we, we will be back in touch with you. Um, and that'll kind of get your name on the list. Cool. How, how does it work politically with, uh, the RNA being the kind of the global governing body of golf outside of, uh, the United States and Canada perhaps, uh, or outside of North America? Um, is there any, uh, uh, well, you have to be careful about selling, this in in england or in scotland or something uh yeah it's it's interesting michael we've had a lot of uh, a lot of interest from overseas and so certainly we're cognizant of is making sure we're working well with the rna and others um and so we'll have to navigate all those things as they come up but um we're we're definitely hopeful that that we can work uh with our global partners to to make this available you know around the world yeah it's yeah i i think i mean the one thing that I'm concerned about um, is is that it makes like a group of 2,000 golf courses that have this and it becomes the standard. So it's like the standard at major championships and it, it's the standard on the PGA Tour and it's the standard for these 2,000 golf courses that are high budget and intensively maintained. And then you've got countries 
because I don't think Deacon is going to get translated into Vietnamese anytime soon, I, I suppose, and it's not going to get translated into Japanese anytime soon, I suppose. And, and uh, you know, so you get parts of the world where the app wouldn't be so usable unless you spoke English, and then it wouldn't be... If I'm at a, a military low-budget course in southern Thailand, for example, they're never going to invest the money to get this type of device. Um, so from a data collection point of view, I'd like the stint meter because I see a lot of uh, stint meters and a lot of copy stint meters uh, in my travels around the world. Um, there's a lot of, um, of companies that have fabricated devices that they're selling that will allow you to do something like a stint meter roll. Um, with the bobble test, of course, that's universal. It's something I can just do with my eyes. And, and uh, so... And firmness, I, I recently tell people, look, if you're a tournament venue, maybe you invest in a firmness meter. But if you're not a tournament venue, I suggest you rate your firmness like this. You assess the green as being too soft, just fine, or too firm. And, and I think anybody that's a golf course superintendent can rate a green according to you're satisfied with the firmness level today or you consider it too firm or, or too soft. So uh, those type of things are simple. The, the stint meter is used all over the world. It's universal. The bobble test has the potential that it could be rated by anyone, whether it's at the Masters Tournament, the U.S. Open, or at a uh, course with zoysia putting greens mown at a quarter inch in southern Thailand. Um, and and that, that firmness rating could be universal too. So um, like I, I want to to the GS3 to be a huge success, but I see it it's still going to be limited, it seems to me, to a certain class of uh, of golf courses. So I'm sure you've thought about that a little bit and uh, and and I know we're all on the same page as as far as what the utility for the game of golf and for the golfers and for uh, efficient resource management, we're all on the same page about the the value of data collection um, and the value of these type of measurements. And uh, I, how do you see the GS3 fitting in with this and, uh, and other alternative ways that maybe um, are, are easier to, to use all around the world? Well, I think that's the great part about data collection is you can fit it to your needs. You know, we've seen that with the GS3 modeled out at, let's say, a municipal facility. Um, I think if we're being, you know, very honest, there, there's going to be some places where it's not the best fit and there's going to be some some more utilitarian methods. But, you know, what I always talk about and Scott's probably tired of me hearing it, but you alluded to this earlier, Mike, it's really important for a lot of golfers to know how they stack up against other golf courses. So it kind of standardizes that across, you know, multiple facilities, multiple turf grass species. And then the, the real value that I think in data collection is decision making, resource management, all that. But it's it's more so communication. Right. This is why we're doing things. This is this is what led us to this decision. And, and we're at facilities with very wide budget ranges, you know, in the United States. Obviously, we don't have the, the global scale that you do. But, you know, no matter where we come across that need for communication to their uh, golfers and stakeholders is really important and, and why we're doing things. And people are looking um, for those data driven you know, guidance, but also the data driven communication. So it's something we constantly come across um, and, and it's great to provide answers and, and how you stack up not only against your course day over day over day and between seasons, but also to other golf courses in your market, um, other golf courses in your area, other golf courses with your same grass type. So that's a need that we see that spans, you know, budgets for the most part. Obviously, there's going to be a limiting factor to any, you know, technology tool as we get to, towards the lower end of the spectrum of budgets. But um, at least in our market research and in the courses that we come across, independent of budget, there, there are solutions that data collection certainly solves but also the GS3, and, and it may be a different goal depending on the on the type of facility, but um, but that's where we you know we, we can tailor those programs to those facilities. That's a, that's a great answer, and the uh, the communication is uh, is really important, and and I love how the green section, how the USGA green section is coming up with these tools 
that uh, make that, uh, it, they help people get over the hurdle of just how, how am I going to store the data? And I'm, I'm not coming up with any of these tools. I just like have ideas of like, you should measure this, you should measure this, here's why it's useful. And I leave it up to you. You collect the data however you want. You store the data however you want. You display the data however you want. But people are busy, and they that that actually is a bit of a hurdle for them because they they want a tool that 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 does that. And you guys are are providing um, that with Deacon, which is uh, is something that's quite attractive, I think. So, um, yeah, you combine the GS three and Deacon, and and uh, I think that's that is attractive for a lot of places. All right, guys. Um, we are about out of time here. I know we all have some other things to do, so I appreciate you joining me. Do you have anything you would like to add or correct or uh, um, elaborate on before we sign off? Micah, we really enjoy your, you know, everything you put out and your thought leadership in these areas. And so really appreciate uh, you having us on and, and love these types of conversations. And you know, happy to further that. And, and Scott, maybe we need to send uh, a couple of these things over to Micah to get to get his, uh, you know, stress testing on it. So oh, I'm going to I think that's a great idea. Rain thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, th thanks so much, Mike, for having us on. It's uh, it's a great conversation. We always appreciate it. And, you know, Jordan said, you know, kind of your thought leadership and just the, the amount of wealth of information that's coming out these days to, to help health courses. Um, you know, it's just uh, we're, we're just grateful to be part of all of it. Well, cool. Thank you so much for joining me. I I have a feeling this won't be the only time that we talk about this because uh, I think uh, as you're rolling this out this year and 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 you get more and more data in, uh, we'll all be you'll you'll be learning a lot. I'll be hearing secondhand about it, but maybe I'll want to talk with you about it. And uh, I'm sure some of the people that I work with will will. Um, be having some questions or we'll have some interesting data from it and yeah i'd love to uh to try this myself when the time is right and uh i, I have all kinds of interesting things that that i'm interested in because especially on a global level i'm really interested in choosing the right grass for the right location to produce the best playability in the most sustainable way and uh so so i think it's useful to measure actually what we're doing and and uh this uh this is just a great tool uh, to do that. So I'm, I'm glad to, to learn more details. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. And uh, I will just say thanks a lot. And we'll talk. We'll talk again about this sometime soon. All right, everybody, I'm going to sign off uh, from this episode of the ATC Double Cut uh, for ATC from St. Catharines, Ontario. I am Micah Woods. Bye bye. <laughs>